the look in her eyes. The set of her jaw. Oh yeah. She's mad at me. What? I don't know, but I'm sure I did something wrong. Oh yeah. Don't hurt me, baby. Don't hurt yourself. Oh yeah. I'd run right into hell and back. I would do anything for love, I'd never lie to you and that's a fact. I would do anything for love, but it's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we are going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the best Star Trek show. I feel okay saying that again <laughs> for right now. <laughs> no question, the best. Star <laughs> yes, Trek. the best Star Trek show that exists. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Uh, anyways, whatever. Who cares? My name is Wade Bowen. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And also, Hugh Crawford. Hello. Hello. And, yes, this week we are talking about an episode called The Assignment. Yes. For some reason. This is episode five of season five. It originally aired on October 28th, 1996, and here is the IMDb description. An alien entity has possessed Keiko's body and is holding it hostage until O'Brien completes an assignment for it. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, this is a classic Trek trope, which is something takes over the body of a character. Mm-hmm. I would say this is probably my favorite and or best of those uh, yeah, because... I was I was gonna say, why do I like this episode as much as I did? I was about to say the same oh, thing. This more or less is like I thought I was not going to like this episode. <laughs> we talked about what this episode was, and I feel like I groaned audibly. But you know what? I thought you it. know what I did too. I really like in my like if you were looking ahead when we were looking ahead, I'm like, oh no, not. <laughs> right? But I want and I was like. I was in it because this managed to have real stakes. It managed to isolate O'Brien where you actually felt how alone he was in the situation. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And yeah. you get to feel his danger. Yeah, they didn't just jump into it where he's on board. They incrementally got him. Turned up the heat on Turned him. up the heat on him, yeah, which yeah. worked really well. Well, and I felt like at every turn this could have kind of unraveled. Mm-hmm. And, but they but yeah. they they made interesting choices like along the way just like how casually she was yes it's a masterpiece of acting yeah. tone yes both of them yeah. were so perfectly modulated yeah Rosalind Chow is great in this like, yeah and O'Brien has a way of like convince you know he convincingly conveys the panic <laughs> without like you can imagine if this was handed to another other actors on the show <laughs> that it would become very heightened. But there's imagine a sort of, Bashir being yeah told, doing this oh, blah, blah, or blah. having to or having to be taken over. Oh my god, yeah. But like there's this sort of laconic nature to O'Brien that really like it really toned down the franticness and made it sort of just very. It allowed it to grow organically as opposed to like everything being these a chore to watch. Right. You know? Yeah. And I did just say how great Rosalind Chow is in this. And I think she is. Uh, there are two points in this episode, which I won't state exactly what they are just yet till we get to them, maybe where she was not as great. I'll just put that out there. Really? Yeah. I never really felt like there was any sort oh, it, of fault. I, it wasn't. Okay. I guess I could say uh, when she. Ah, when she has to suffer or when she has to oh, be electrocuted. Oh, really? I thought that, no, at the beginning where she sh- shows the example, I thought that was good. I thought her like, uh, ah, oh no, was her screaming uh, was a little... That could have been some ADR. Exactly, yeah, like I don't blame it. Wait, wait, are we talking about the end or at the beginning? beginning. I'm talking about both. I, actually, she, I mean, uh, that's, nobody handles that good on these afternoon, like on these syndicated TV shows. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, again, I don't even really hold it against her. They t- just told her to freak out and we're going to put some effects on her I, or something. I like thought that. she did pretty good on that. That, that. that didn't bother me. But I could see how it kind of takes you out of it. Yeah. I think we should, you know, we're going to start 
we're gonna work through this. So my my only real problem with this episode is at the beginning. Really? So mm-hmm. well, not with the Quark and Rom stuff, which yeah, the cold open I liked a lot. Yeah, it said the B plot. It sets the cold open starts off with breakfasts in the bar. Rom is coming in, and Quark is like, oh. Breakfast in the bar. Where else can you get raw slug liver? I guess that's what drunks eat on Franganar or something. He sets aside a puree of beetle because that's what Rom eats after work every morning because he's on the night shift. But he wants two eggs over easy and three strips of bacon and corned beef hash because that's what Chief O'Brien eats. Well, basically, it's just that we get to catch up with Rom's. It's a nice way to catch up on Rom's career. He's mm-hmm. working a shitty shift, yeah. but he's really happy in what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he feels like there's a level of fulfillment that he's having, and Quark is kind of chagrined that his brother is so low on the totem pole, so to speak, and so happy about it. Right, and also I think he, because Quark is set up as a guy that doesn't like the effect of the Federation on Ferengis. He's the good Ferengi, and these Federation principles are corrupting his brother, even him to an extent. We saw that in Body Parts last season, but he's still kind of the rightist who's like, oh, you should be want to be here with me making profit, and he's, he resents his brother a little bit for going off on his own. He's like, oh, next thing you're going to be drinking OJ and coffee, and yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> um, I like, Yeah, I liked all this stuff. This is fun. Yeah, like you're knee-deep in shit all the time. When you could be here at my bar with your older brother, you know, we're and and you could be looking at half naked Dabo girls all the time. But Rom's like, no, I'm my own man. I'm going to be rewarded someday in engineering <laughs> where things are different. Well, <laughs> so, and yeah, I, yeah I, I I I kind of like this this characterization. You know, where they where where they take Rom as one of the best yeah. things about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things about that is that you never, like, when you watch Deep Space Nine the first season and Rom is sort of buzzing around, you would never expect (laughs) to enjoy that character. You would never just see that character in a scene and think, oh, I would love for them to expand on him, right? Yeah. But they do, and it pays dividends. Yeah. They're also just, they have this way of writing, essentially. I mean, he is such a, like, a comical, cartoonish character and his vocal delivery and the way he looks and sort of all of those kinds of things that even after we've had this sort of reveal multiple times it still always comes as like a plot point shock when it's that rom has you know secret powers of perception or yeah you know and that there's this like point in this episode where he lays it all like why you know beautifully beautifully yeah yeah he's the smartest guy in the room yeah yeah yeah. like (laughs) oh i know how to play the role like i'm quirk's brother come on and that that, but i've I've figured out exactly what all of this shit is oh yeah yeah, and o'brien doesn't even know right oh and to say something about just like you know what star trek idealism and everything if this were not a Star Trek show and at the cold open where uh, Quark is telling his brother that he's being taken advantage of, he's working the shit detail, like literally mm-hmm. in the waste extraction units. And then Rom, this bright eyed idealist is like, nope, nope, you're wrong, brother. I'm a hard worker and someday I'm going to be rewarded. Because that's just the way things are in engineering. And then if this were another show, I'd be like, you poor Poor deluded son of a bitch. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. so wrong. But you know what? Yeah. In Star Trek, he's right. And the show, this B plot that they set up here ends up tying really well into the A plot, which is I like when the show gets around to doing that. Mm-hmm. And he is rewarded. It's a trick they don't pull off that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this season five, I feel like they've really started diving deep into like well, can we get to the next scene real quick because oh, yeah. I, that's what i really take umbrage with i think that we cut after we have that wonderful scene with quark and his brother we cut to o'brien and julian fretting over some dead plants oh, the right. Bonsai scene, yeah. oh right the idrin hybrids and it, what irritates me is that that they're they're playing into the the angry wife mode like, oh right like it's kind of a well. She's gonna be so mad. I killed her. And then I mean, even even from a gross standpoint, like yes, of course we have a woman character, and we're worried that she's going to be shrill to us boys who were only well-meaning. You take the gross, you know, political subtext out of that. 
it's still a cliche story-wise. So I, I found it yeah, bothered. It's not, it's not so much offensive as it is just annoying. A little bit. Or like well, it, I yeah, found yeah, it on yeah, both levels. Right. I found I find it. Yeah, t- yeah like, I agree. I, I found it interesting on the, I know, I mean, I'm, I've got close guy friends, but not like the way that Julian and O'Brien, they're like siblings in this. Or if I want to be a more Tumblr tier on it, <laughs> They're more like a couple who are like, this ain't my problem. You fucked it up because Julian, you came in and thought he was just helping out and he, he watered things too much. And these are Adrian hybrids. You can't water this too conversation much. could have easily been taking place with them wearing red pajamas, matching red pajamas and brushing <laughs> their teeth is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's like, oh, but and then they get into the, well, what you got to do is you got to buy her chocolate. What's your favorite chocolate, bro? It's like, right. Tellurian mint truffles. That, that whole scene. Here's the thing. You have a wife that's coming back and when she comes back, she's not the same. You could have two people just talking about it, and O'Brien could be excited just to be seeing his wife, and you could still tell the same story. <laughs> yeah. It would still work, right? Right. I'm excited to see my wife. We haven't seen her in this long, or blah, 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 blah. Right. She gets off the ship, and she's like, look. <laughs> it would still work if you did it like a slightly different way. Yeah. But the wife is, is going to be shrill to us and kind of playing it for light yucks is just dumb. It is a little bit story wise and gross. Story wise, so. you could they're still selling that he'd rather spend time with his uh his buddy than with his wife, I guess. But that's not true either, because yeah. And we we learned that Julian's still kind of a shit doctor where he's just like, uh no, I'll be operating on somebody or whatever. I don't know, just to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it well, was he's uh, not a shit doctor. I was relatively happy when it was like Oh, this is just a. I mean, it was almost, I guess, from a story structure, it's only there to show that she, her not caring about it is a thing. Right. That, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. When she finally gets there, she's like, oh, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. But then they don't, they don't tease around that there's something going on. She, she comes across pretty That was fit. amazing. That was amazing. They don't drag their feet, which at other shows I feel like would do. Oh, man. She, she comes was stone cold G, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> she was just said, stop talking. Here's the deal. Yeah, yeah. Like that was. I was like, I was like, this is absolutely what I want. Thank yeah, you. exactly. Oh, how was the Dukur province? How were the fire caves, which we heard about a few times? I like before. how she kind of like rubs her fingers together to get rid of like the excess chocolate and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, every every little bit of her her eating yeah. the chocolate is like, oh, these are good. Hmm, okay, she, yeah. She's she's relishing it, and she's got that look on her face, and then she's just like, oh, yeah. I'm not just fuck this. I'm not pussyfooting around here. I'm holding your wife hostage. Do what I want. Mm-hmm. And like, do you have Rudellian brain fever? Or and I like how in the turbo lift down where she quickly explains how this would go if it was a different Star Trek episode. Oh, yeah. You're going to get with your friends. Yeah. You're going to put your heads together. You're going to try to. And I'm going to tell you right now how this won't work. Right. Hmm. You could put me in a stasis field or. But you know what? I'm going to kill your wife if you do that. And so. Right. And I think that this this has been the 15th episode in star trek's at this point 20 plus history where a character has been taken over by an alien body so the writers of the show clearly feel like the audience has been trained to see it a certain outcome right and i certainly felt like that at this point and so her the bad guy specifically with miles o'brien has done this before in tng he was one of the aliens oh Oh, yes that's right well that and julian's been taken over by a bad guy i mean they're just what you start when he was doing the the bella lugosi voice right (laughs) the bella lugosi (laughs) voice but what i like about it is that she quickly lets you like telegraphs to the audience that this is not going to follow the your usual Star Trek Tropes, like friendly yeah. solution. Right. Where everybody puts their head together. And you know what? It might work. You might be able to stop me. But I promise you one thing. If you do, Keiko will die. And so, like, and so the, automatically you feel, and they do a wonderful job with the tight close-ups, which I normally don't care for, <laughs> but the tight close-ups in a confined area with that dialogue, you can find, you could feel everything closing in literally and figuratively on O'Brien. Yeah. Like wonderfully, where he's yeah, yeah. completely alone. 
and his eyes are almost darting side to side as if he's looking for somebody to share this information with and there's just he's just alone there's no what there's nowhere for this information to go right yeah so anyway i thought that was a wonderful wonderfully constructed scene too yeah yeah it's great and she has the oh you don't do what i want this will happen to your wife and uh, that's where i wish but you know what if y'all thought it worked better i'm not gonna i thought it was fine I thought it was absolutely Yeah, fine. I did too. I, I, I was, I, she was uh, really still on the ground there for a while because oh. I always look for breathing and stuff. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. When she was on the ground, I thought she was fine. But when she was making the noises, I was like, oh, okay. But all told, like, yeah, from, from the get go, like, I, I sort of came into this expecting to not like it or not give a shit about it. Right. And then over, like, I didn't want to say I was on autopilot because I take this podcast very seriously <laughs> right but a of little course. bit you know like you're just kind of like you know you're, you're you're waiting you're like okay this is a familiar trope specifically a familiar star trek trope i kind of know where the beats are going to go from it but each time i'm kind of like i don't remember i didn't remember what happens to it so i'm just kind of like what what is he doing what is he going right. to do yeah and yeah. so even like with every little step right she's i don't even remember the steps i mean like but just how relentless her control of him was yeah but the best part was the shocking part is when he's going to go tell cisco oh yeah yeah first she she's like says, miles and she jumps off she falls off the promenade which we've seen before as a way to kill a dude, like in that accession episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even before that, how they kind of just raised the temperature because she's like, oh, just change the optronic integrator on level five. Oh, no, I see you have plans there, but I, I can see things that only a wife would notice because I know I have everything that Keiko knows. Yeah. And then before she kills herself, we have the surprise party whole thing. that Which happens. wasn't supposed to be a surprise party. It was supposed to be a a Bajoran something something like a bridal shower. Oh, maybe. Ooh. Yeah, and then um, because there's there's the, somebody lacking in this episode that I did not see at all. Yeah, it's first uh, first episode without not a visitor. She went into premature labor. Oh shit! So her baby was a preemie. So um, they had wrote they were going to film. I think they may have even filmed some stuff, and then she had to go. And so they had to rework it pretty quick. Oh, wow. I was wondering, because yeah. they do throw even in the the bro scene before she gets there. It's like, oh, it's your birthday or something. That's why she's coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was coming back for the bridal whatever festival. Right. Whatever Bajoran uh, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. The prophet's yeah. blessing. Held our joy, assholes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some sort of Bajoran baby party. But it's coming for his birthday. We never, this whole episode, they never mention exactly how old he's turning, which, oh, yeah. which is fine. But he was born in September. It's in September. Okay. Uh, I think we know that from another episode. Probably we know how old he is too. But mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah. Because it wasn't in this episode. I would have wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he's probably his character's probably 32 years old in this, <laughs> right. and that would be horrifying. Oh. <laughs> That's always horrifying. Let's figure it out. He was he was born in 2373, and this episode takes place in. I don't know. I'm trying to find it. Quick fingers on the memory alpha there. Star dates. Who can trust them? They don't make any sense. Yeah, I know. Uh, he was born in 2373. No, uh, according oh. to IMDb, this takes place in September 2373. You're right. Okay, so no, his birthday's in September. We know that from Whispers. The episode is set in September 2373. Right. So we just have That's to find it, the year so, at some so point. Yeah. We don't know when he was born. No, call meaning he was born in 1953, though. And this took place was in 1996, so he's 43 years old. Yeah. All right. That's that's about right. Well, well, you think you got it? Like you go into like enlisted service, so he's probably in the shit when he was 22 through 29. He was seven years on the Empire. This whole episode, I was waiting for them to say it is it, that it's his 40th birthday because that felt like one where they he could get away saying, "Oh, I don't want to talk about it," but it, they just never named the name, the date, which is fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, they're gonna say because." When Julian had a birthday, he was all angsty about that. You know what? This all just this all means that we just need the fictional autobiography of uh, Chief <laughs> O'Brien. Yes, Chief Ooh, Mi- oh, Miles O'Brien. We should write that. We should write the official. You, we should <laughs> like. We should do that. Andrew Robinson will write his own autobiography for Garrick, but I don't see Colin Meany doing that for O'Brien. Oh no, he doesn't give two. Well, shows. you know they have the one of Captain Kirk, the official ones for Captain Kirk and and Picard. Oh yeah, like Star Trek wrote the released those books. Yeah, as, yeah. So it's, you know, something for fans to read. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can imagine these two fuckers sitting down and writing their biography at the end of their life. Why did I write down Bajoran Spring Basil? I don't know. I don't know. 
something when Julian comes in and she's like, Julian, will you come to the uh, birthday party? Oh, shit, I ruined the surprise. That's why. And Julian is like, nope. Oh, shit, I left the patient on the operating table. I know it's just a, an excuse, but that's shitty doctoring. I think it's supposed to be a com. <laughs> no, the Bashir clip is clearly like a joke. Like. Well, it's a, I know it's a joke. But it's a shit. No, I'm saying that he's saying it as a joke. Well, I don't know. He's half joking. We know nobody believes that that's what it is. But yeah, you're still... like, I gotta go see a guy about a thing. Or I gotta go drop off the kids off at the pool. It's one of those like mm-hmm. pre forma. Like, I yeah, get the yeah. fu- I'm gonna get the fuck out of here because I think like either they're gonna fuck. Like, there's some sort of who's afraid of Virginia Wolf about to happen. So I'm getting right. Out. Well, I think. Well, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's 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 minor. <laughs> it felt like pre forma, but it has a veneer of legitimacy, even though nobody knows. Oh, it. yeah. It's the kind of joke that doctors tell all the time, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess uh, you, but, you yeah, your yeah, it's minor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, Rom comes in to a meet his meeting because he's taken over the day shift as Duarte's replacement. They're all drinking Ractuccino, and he's real excited about that. Ractuccino. Great. I might say Ractagino, like uh, it was fear tendrils. What the fuck was the word? They said a lot in Discovery, <laughs> it, that one episode we had like a fight about. Threat ganglia, and they say it like, <laughs> like 15 times. Yeah, they yeah. said Ractagino. You're going to have to be more specific which one we had that fight about. <laughs> <laughs> but they say Ractagino so many times but at this point I, it, it got to the point where I, oh they're doing this as a fun thing I'll have a Ractagino well, yeah, they're having fun with the word yeah none of the crew gives a shit about it mm-hmm. but Rom is so excited Ractagino I'm gonna drink a Ractagino and they're just like yes f- get your fucking coffee man we don't care and it's like, oh this is what this is what engineers drink okay we don't drink Ractagino those dumb assholes I hated those guys <laughs> yeah they were jerks to Rom fuck them well I mean I understand that he's a little over eager and is desperate to be a part of the group, but at the same time, he comes off completely sympathetic and they come off as assholes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's part of that to set up the the ending where like like, there well well, but there's this theme throughout the the show that as O'Brien is doing more and more duplicitous shit, that he's constructing it all to fall on. Rom's head. Oh, Rom. Yeah, yeah. And so Rom is being totally, you set up the temptation in the first scene. He's a rube. He's a proxy. Yeah. Yeah. You set up the temptation in the first scene where they're they're treating you like shit. They make you work in shit. No one cares about you. They hate you. And then every time you see it, it seems like, yeah, he is the rube that, and then even O'Brien is using him and like gotten him. He's in jail and like, and all of this stuff. And O'Brien's keeping him there. And you're just kind of like, what the fuck's going on? Poor Rom. You know, so Rom is the poor Patsy. So that the reveal is, oh, they liked him. They were just all grumpy asses or whatever. Sure, sure. But that that was fun. I think that that was... This episode did all the little shit well. It's just, this is how to tell stories. It really, it did, really yeah. did. This is how to tell stories. Yeah, like Miles in the Jeffrey's tube, just like, computer, uh, how do I knock out my wife real fast without, this, without her getting murdered? Yep. That was fun. That was... You know what? <laughs> Not only was that fun, but it actually had it happen for the story. You you went yeah, to, yeah. for his isolation to work. You really want him to feel like he's got no other options. He's tried everything. Yeah. That he's tried everything. So you, yeah. they really that was just a way for them to ratchet up the tension even more. Right, right. Because he knows that she said, "I can kill your wife in like a split second. It's like, well, okay. Well, if I put a level three stasis field, how long that'll take? Two point one seconds to knock her out. How about a nesting gas? 1.4 seconds to knock her out. Okay, fine. If I just phaser my wife, I don't want to do that. How long is that? That's going to take 0.9 seconds. Oh, shit. Okay. Then they have the party. Molly has a fashion crisis in the room, and they're making oparol is a dish that's hard to make that they made up. He drinks single malt neat. Irish whiskey, which is uh, which is rare, by the way. Yeah, and probably indicates that he is not Catholic. How's I don't know. That's in memory alpha for some reason. Uh, yeah, we have Irish listeners, but no, like Bushmill is the only like. I mean, there's there's other smaller oh, ones. Oh, but they generally ma- mass mass produced Irish whiskeys. It's generally on the Catholics or uh, the Catholics usually drink blended whiskeys, huh. and when it's specifically an Irish single malt. That generally is from a Scottish tradition, so Scots Irish, so Protestants. I, just, but it's also like objectively better, right? Single malt. So maybe songs. he's just yeah. got good taste. Yeah. So well, maybe by the 24th century, we've put all that religion behind us, and there aren't any Catholics. Yeah, left. yeah. No, I know. But like when you go to the point of saying it, you're generally indicating it, from my understanding. But if I know we have Irish listeners, please correct me. Yeah, that's my 
Americanized understanding of of it is that when you indicate single malt, yeah, the and Irish, I was like, oh, yeah. the writers wouldn't know, but you know, call me. Oh, I bet they did. Yeah, I bet. Oh, they I'm sure as hell you know, call me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely like I mean, it's like it's twice the price, so it's it's definitely nice. Oh yeah, I mean, go with a single malt whenever you can get it. I mean, mm-hmm. That's my. I know. <laughs> as, a, as a drinker, I was like, well, but that's a Scottish blend thing, or a single so. malt. I'm going to go for a single malt, but. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So it's good stuff. Yeah. In the party, Jake is talking to Keiko. He's like, oh, do you see any paw race down there? Because <laughs> oh, yeah. Odo was telling me about paw race and, oh, paw race. That's interesting. That sounds like... It is the that's first a- time that they've officially been said in the show. Right. But they had been written into two other scripts, maybe. Oh, really? And cut. They got cut? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, just you wouldn't know because it was cut. Right. But Robert Hewitt Wolf came up with the concept in season one, two, mm-hmm. or something like that. And it was supposed to be used in the Nagus episodes huh. where something, it was the line about it. And that's where Paul Wraith was in that original script and got cut. And then Renee Ashavaria was told by Iris Stephen Bear to tie whatever ghost that was in the pitch. Oh, yeah. You know, it was pitched as separately. And tie it into pre-existing lore that they've already worked up. And so that's where Robert Hewitt Wolf told Renee Echeverria, who doesn't get a writer's credit, but is only talked about as the writer. Huh. Who who did get credit on this one? Robert the Le- people that pitched Lederman and David Long. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bradley Tom. Yeah, who go on to think sit in the room? They're room guys. Oh, okay. They're not producers yet. Yeah. yeah, they have twelve. They have twelve scripts to their name. So okay, but yeah, so it did exist before, just not in any way that anybody would know. So this is the first canonical right mention of it. Okay, and yeah. God, it's not the last. New is not. Yeah, and like, <laughs> oh yeah, Odo told me about that, and then like, oh Odo, you don't believe in ghosts? He's like, no, I don't believe. And Keiko's, it's just fun guy. Oh, there. also, this is a this was the first directing by Alan Croner. We're talking about how great paste it is and everything. This is the first one directed by Alan Croner, who goes on to direct, I think, like every major episode left, huh. or a lot of them, including all of the finales of the rest of this show. Every finale in Deep Space Nine. The last three finales of Voyager and every finale of Enterprise. Huh. So he is, I mean, he, he he directed a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. And big, big episodes, including the finale of Deep Space Nine. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hugh's favorite, the 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 last oh. Voyager episode. Yeah, yeah. Hugh's like, a big fan. Like and, and the last Enterprise episode, which everybody loves, I've heard. Ooh, boy. <laughs> I don't even remember. I don't, I don't even. I don't even know. I bailed out on the Mary universe. I, I haven't watched Inter- I didn't know that. I didn't know Listen, I would have to know all this fucking information about that episode later. <laughs> I haven't watched any Enterprise, but I know what happens in the finale, and I know that people love it. Uh, don't don't call. Well, call us and correct well, I, me. I guess people. Yeah, you all love the. F- I don't know. I don't even know what happened. It's, it's all Riker's holograms. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and don't they leave? They leave Hoshi. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen any Mary of it. Universe, like I said, no. I just know yeah. from Infamous, the last episode, people are pissed. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it, yeah. They, he, they freaks all over it. Yeah, it's an inter. It's a. It's a. It's a. Actually, next generation uh, episode. yeah. You know what? <laughs> I bet the writers of Discovery could use the ending of Enterprise as a reason why things look different. No, I never mind. Oh, I don't open a can of worms there. Mm. Oh, they're having a party for Miles. Look at that. <laughs> he sees Keiko talking to his daughter, and he's like, "Get away from her!" And he breaks a glass on his hand. Don't talk to my daughter. And, yeah, and then yeah. he she does. Does she touch his dick? <laughs> I no. couldn't understand what was going on in that she scene. What, no, she 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 runs this uh, health thing. Over, no, when he's waking uh, up. Oh no. Well, okay. Well, before we learn, the first day's chore assignment was just a test. So that's her turning up the water a little bit. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I, I didn't know I could trust you. I just made you do the stupid thing the first day just to make sure. And then, yeah, she's like, go to sleep. And he's like, I'll sleep on the couch. I I hate you. You're not my wife. It's like, no, you're going to sleep with me because it would arouse suspicion because Molly. And then, yeah, he wakes up. He's putting his hand on her waist because he's asleep. Ah, that's Puts her hand, his hand on her waist and she wake, he wakes up and 
forgets that his wife has been possessed. Yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't tell if they were trying to indicate that, that, that there was something under the sheets going on too. I mean, there because he wakes up. He wakes up with a smile, and then she smiles at him, and then he, then he, I, then he panics. Sure. I mean, I guess maybe it is possible that he had a boner that was poking her when he woke up, but he just <laughs> all they show on the show is that he's got his hand on his waist because he rolls over and you just you know, yeah. You touch the person you're with. No, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. I was yeah. just theorizing. Yeah, he could have a boner. So, uh, uh, so he asked about pot race. There's 6,427 entries in the databanks. And sorry. Are we near uh, the ROM stuff yet? Oh, yeah. And then that's when he goes to Cisco to ride on her and she throws her herself off the promenade. Like that guy killed that low caste guy in, in the session. I pushed I pushed him. I pushed him. She pushes that herself. That was pretty fun. She's pretty plain loose there, right? I mean, like. She could have died. She could have. Does she know how to take a fall like a like a quarter like, Right. Does she go to those NFL quarterback classes where they teach them how to fall? Bashir does point out when she's in the hospital or the sick bay, he's like, Oh, she's lucky she fell and it was completely evenly distributed. She could have broken her neck or died or yeah. something. So that Paul Wraith knows exactly what knows knows what it's doing. So she went to those classes. Yeah. <laughs> That Paul Rafe has a, a long career in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. She can make your nose bleed and, yeah, do everything. Yeah. A wrestling, too. You got to know how to take a oh, fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. She's, she's cutting her face with a razor blade so she bleeds. <laughs> yeah, she can do the vault off <laughs> yeah. the top of the cage yeah, like right. Mankind did at the WrestleMania <laughs> yada, yada, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that um, <laughs> WrestleMania. I remember it. It was crazy, wasn't it? Mankind jumping off the cage is pretty crazy, though, if you've ever watched it. Oh, Mankind. Check that out. I look, I don't know uh, wrestling. I know enough that. Mankind's the shit. He's awesome. Uh, what's his real name? He took a 25 foot, 25 foot, Mark Foley, Mike something Foley. Foley, Foley. Yeah, he's awesome. Anyway, uh, bu- 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 bu. that's where are we at. Worf still cares for Keiko. He's like, she's okay, right? Because, you know, I delivered your baby that time. He's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have, pers- yeah, I have right. a personal experience with Keiko. And as dim as Worf is, he still sees that something's up with O'Brien because he's like, oh, there's something here. And Worf is the dim, like, doesn't pick up on social cues. He's the worst at it, but he can still see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and like, I like that once it got to the point where he was having to spend all of his time with his space friends. Like, I liked that about yeah, it. Yeah. And then when Molly calls in to the little meeting that they have. Oh, it, God. It that was. Oh, yeah. And she's brushing, brushing her hair. That was so good. Yeah. And so well. I thought that was so well done with the amount of creepiness. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ow, mommy, you're pulling my hair. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved Avery Brooks. Like, whenever he has a phone call, like, you get a phone call at work and your boss is like, go pick it up. <laughs> take it. Oh, yeah. Sure. To take I it. Love that <laughs> yeah, like, I like that every bit of irritation to Avery Brooks in, in this. Because he snaps it up Brian for another well, I mean, at the too. end, he's got, he's, you got some explaining to do. He goes, yeah, in that meeting, though, oh, he's yeah, like, yeah. yes. O'Brien? And O'Brien's like, what? And he was like, tell me what you <laughs> right. fucking think, motherfucker. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like, this yeah, is like, all your problem. What are you doing? <laughs> well, be- the scene before that is when he's working by himself. He's sending everybody else to work. And then Rom comes in. He's like, I'm here to help out. I finished early. Because he's got, he t- he's told Keiko Wraith, I need 36 hours to do what you're asking. And she's like, you'll do it in 13. <laughs> Listen. I know you pad your numbers, you asshole. Everybody knows it. Dogs know it. You say you need 36 hours, you can do it in less, but 13 hours is, is a lot for him. He's really struggling. Yeah. Uh, Rom comes in, and Rom is the wonderkin kind of savant that he is. He's like, oh, I finished that, like, real quick. Then Miles realizes that he can take advantage of this, of this rube. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, this is a top-secret Starfleet operation. And Rom's like, oh, culpable deniability. I understand that. I won't even tell anybody my name. It's like, we all know your fucking name on the station. <laughs> I love that. That's the way that the shortness of O'Brien is pretty fun on a lot of these scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like about how he just gets really short with yeah. them. And so he's working in ops or something. And then Dax comes in. And says, I saw some shit. I saw some radiometric anomalies. I find those relaxing at 3 a.m. And I found all this weird shit going on. And that's why they call a meeting and Cisco. That's one of these things. Like, I don't want to skip like little seconds in here, but like, that's one of the things that I like about keeping Dax that they're doing with her is that now that she's getting D on the rig, the two D's on the rig. <laughs> Canon. Like they still haven't changed how she, that she's still, well, the, she's still the science officer. I still love, yeah, 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 I yeah. Still love this shit. Yeah. No. And like that it's, but it, that she's got a personal drive to that where I think that they tend like they didn't, they never gave Troy that kind of personal 
intensity towards something. And I, I like that. She was like, yeah, no, no, no. I got a boyfriend, you know, because that's a, that's a library like thing to have these. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way that they, whatever they're doing with Dax is really, really working. Right. And they're writing her in a well, way. This that episode. Females aren't always. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you exactly what you like about this. She's still a person with agency. And <laughs> that's what you, that's what you like. Yes. Right. Yes. She's still, she's still, she's still a human being. Her life is nominally changed right. now that she's getting D on the rig. <laughs> right. That's the way it should be. Right. <laughs> like, I can't put my finger on it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. this episode doesn't remember that she's getting D. It's like, well, it's not important at all. Yeah. There's no reason to reference her relationship with uh, that app is running in the background. It is, but they, they do not say <laughs> yeah. anything. About no, it, but, but to the audience watching <laughs> it, especially serialized one after another. Sure, you know oh, it's fine. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's the way to do. It. It's the way you do this. Right, right. Yeah. So she she calls it up, and he's like, I I don't know. I think it's it's fine. He's like, no, I think it's a thing. We're calling a meeting. That mm-hmm. Cisco is like, no. There's like the 943 different little tweaks. And he's like, ah, it doesn't really mean anything yet. It's like, but it could just be the tip of the iceberg. It's like, yeah, okay. Uh, and then yeah, you were mentioning before he kind of blows up at O'Brien. He's like. Well, okay, it's got to be somebody on the crew. Well, also because... keep in mind that he's running out of time. There's a clock on all this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That the uh, the Paul Wraith literally needs it something, you know, this shit to go down at a specific time. 13 hours, yeah. Right. And then so he's looking out the window thinking, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And then Cisco's like, chief, snap out of it. You mother- Who do you not trust? Who could be the saboteur? And he's like, uh... Rom. This is Rom. Rom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he throws he Rom the Rom. fuck under the bus, doesn't oh, he? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes me happy. <laughs> and and it, ultimately, I guess it's because it's Rom he trusts the most. <laughs> but like, yeah, know. but um, well, he's the, he's the fun. easiest. Patsy, right, also, you know. also get the feeling that that Rom's pretty disposable in Chief O'Brien's life. <laughs> right. Like if somebody's got to sit, the, if somebody's got to sit in the cooler for you know two or three days. He's fine with it being <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. And well, and also Odo finds him. He's like, oh, well, this thing got changed here. Oh, there's a guy right here. Who is it? Oh, it's Rom. Uh, oh, yeah, it was must have been him, I guess. Mm. And O'Brien scratches his head. <laughs> yep, yep, that's that <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> so he gets put in the brig and he won't say anything. And, yeah. he, and uh, Odo's like, it took me 40 minutes for him to say his fucking name. It's a nice callback to a scene that was like five minutes earlier. Yeah. And then O'Brien like scrambles all the security channels and disconnects all the wires that Odo is running in the brig because Rom won't talk to anybody except O'Brien. So it goes in there and Rom has figured the whole thing out. He's like, Captain Cisco, Odo, they don't know about any of this, do they? Well, yeah. And then he figures out even like you said, what O'Brien didn't even realize like, well, why are we focusing a chroniton beam at the wormhole? What? What the fuck are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're crazy. Rom's like, no, that's what it is. Why do you want to kill the wormhole aliens? <laughs> yeah, that was that was a wonderfully mm-hmm. done scene mm-hmm. where the audience slowly realizes before O'Brien that Rom is the guy, you know, the Patsy has put it all together. And it's a beautiful thing with power that's done. Yeah. Is that the, here's this person that is sort of wanted to belong eager to help out, is punished for it, resilient, punished for it again, and then actually is the is the key to unlocking it all. It's just so wonderfully done. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even figures out the... O'Brien is like, oh, she was right, and it's her. And Ram is like, what are you talking about? Uh, what do you know about the Pa race? And then even Rom is like, oh, yeah, I've been hanging out with Lita, and she told me all about the Kost Moran legend, which means Kost a Moran means to be banished. And then we get the whole like background of the Pa race, who were false prophets that lived in the wormhole and then got cast out, and they're pissed about it, and they got put in crystal fire cages in the fire caves of Bajor. Did you guys read about the origins of the Paul Rafes as far as like what they're based off of all that jazz no. on the IMDb? Wait, that- uh, James, do you have that? Uh, no, I, I don't. I mean, other than that, Robert Hewitt Wolf wrote them and the, Oh, is there something else? Oh, Oh, do say. It sounds like you've got it. Is there something <laughs> that, 
<laughs> well, yeah. I just happened to read it a little <laughs> while ago, and now I'm trying to bring it back up. This is the best part of a podcast is where you hear two guys go quiet and one guy go um for four minutes. <laughs> oh, they'll never hear it. They'll never hear it. Yeah. It's the, it's a like a Milton reference or it's a based off of. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a Paradise Lost yes. thing. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they I mean, that were like I know that they said something about like that if they're like angels, then there would be bad angels. OK, too. So the history of the celestial prophets in the Paw race resembles the plot of John Milton's Paradise Lost, a, li- a literary work often alluded to in Star Trek productions. Space Seed, 1967 and Deep Space Nine with Paradise Lost itself. Remember that episode? Paradise Lost. How could we? No. How could we forget? Yes. Which one was that? I don't remember. The Martial Law episode on Earth. Oh, Paradise Law. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paradise has never right. been the same. Right, right, right. Ooh, race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so yeah, yeah. So I guess the history of the myth that we hear is loosely based off the plot of Paradise Lost. So uh, I guess okay. my, that's my only point. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's a good point. So yeah, they're basically cast out angels. Yeah. I'd rather rule in hell than. You know, Star Trek likes to go and. You know, they they crib from uh, Shakespeare quite a bit throughout their history, and they have a little right. bit of dalliance with Milton. We got some Cyrano de Bergerac a few episodes ago. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we had Red Badge of Courage and All Quiet on the Western Front. So, you know, it's a thing. They're stealing. Yeah, they, well, but they, that's what the best people, artists do, right? It's it's Robin season. It's in the Robin writers. season. <laughs> yeah. Ah! <laughs> They're doing it good, though. Can't wait for that, yeah, right? Oh, um, yeah. Atlanta. No, it's not this podcast. Oh, that's a good show. Yeah, it is a good show, right? So yeah, they're false prophets. So when they, they all figure it out, and then O'Brien is like, "All right, you're gonna have to go with me here, Rom, and just I I have a plan. Just trust me, but you can't say shit. And even though Rom has figured out, like Cisco knows nothing about this, right? It's like, no, he doesn't. But listen, please. And Rom is like, okay, well, oh, you want me to play the idiot? It's like, well. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, oh, don't get me wrong. Don't, yeah, oh, I get it. I've been playing the, I'm Quark's Quark's brother. I know the role. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great scene because here we have a characterization that works beautifully. I mean, it's not just that we have a a character that was started at the bottom and wants to belong and is eager to please. Like Drake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for it. Started at the bottom and now look at me. Right. But he's he's uniquely suited to the task. He's uniquely suited to the task. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's great. And they keep using it to such a... That's such a great effect of like how it kind of shocks you when he comes up with the right shit. You know, it's it's great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Rom's smarter than we all give him credit for, but we know he's smart. And then so O'Brien's like, just go with it. And he goes back to doing his getting shit done within the 13 hours or whatever. And Odo's not an idiot either. He's like, yeah, I figured out. Come on. I know that Rom wasn't working alone. He has his Columbo moment where like there's too many changes going on. And mm-hmm. I saw that you you didn't you didn't cover your tracks well enough. I saw that you messed around. Well, and to- that's the one thing about this. When you have a, somebody fucking up the station as much as O'Brien's been and you've got everybody's suspicions aroused, you can't have Odo look the fool too long. I mean, yeah, it's sort yeah. of the natural it's sort of the natural conclusion right. that he would tie it all up with a bow yeah. and figure it out. Right. And then O'Brien is like, oh, shit, Uh, don't hate me. And then he knocks Odo the fuck out, which is much more believable to me than the last time Odo got knocked unconscious way back in season one with the Space Mormon episode. Well, it's because, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, because he's, yeah, that was was some uh, weak. (laughs) He's a solid now. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. He he took it on the chin. That was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he steals the runabout. And then he-, he steals the runabout. And you're wondering, like, did he just throw Rom under the bus? Because he's like, listen, Keiko Wraith, meet me at runabout pad C. We'll go to the wormhole. It's like, oh, how did you figure it out? It's like, listen, I know you're a paw Wraith. I don't give a fuck about those wormhole aliens. I just want my wife back. Let's go. She's like, okay, oh, I'll be right there. And what is wonderful about that is that whenever he says it, he's convincing enough to... Because he has to be convincing enough to mm-hmm. the fool the Paul Wraith, because the Paul Wraith because yeah, his wife knows has, him. Yeah. Yes. Well, what they what we haven't talked about is that, and what they say a few times in the episode is that everything that 
Keiko knows, the Paul Wraith knows. Like the Paul Wraith has access to all of her files. Right. So that's that's how she's able to uh, <laughs> yeah. stay one step ahead of him. You always tighten your brow just a tiny bit whenever you're about to ask a question. It's something only a wife would notice. So whenever he says, "I'm willing," you know, I don't give a damn about the wormhole aliens. I just want my wife back. It had to be convincing enough to fool Keiko herself, mm-hmm. or, you know, and therefore. It fools the audience, too, because you think, well, fuck, this guy's been pushed and pushed and pushed. He's got no recourse but to fuck up these these wormhole aliens. (laughs) So you really believe that, yeah, that's, you know, a possibility in the story. That was actually, like, at that point, because I don't remember this episode very, you know, I didn't remember the ending. And since it was going on, I was kind of like... You know, and like they do this a lot where it's like he took a step too far, didn't he? Like, how do they write him out of this shit? Right. Like, I mean, how does he not come back in chains? Yeah. And, but, right. But, and he, you know, yeah. Clever twist that O'Brien always, always thinking. Right. He's Rambo O'Brien. Because, <laughs> yeah, the, the chronoton shit on the station starts going off like the Wraith is planned. And, you know, Dax is like, what the fuck? And then the laser shootout that are supposed to go into the wormhole and to kill all the prophets. But O'Brien has figured enough out that it hits the runabout instead and electrocutes basically because it's chroniton particles. And he's like, why would that kill the the prophets? He's like, well, because they live outside of time. And so it would kill them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Technobabble. Never mind. But he realizes like, oh, if I shoot Keiko, it'll probably kill the Wraith, you know, because it might not kill a person, but... Mm-hmm. The race are re- related to the prophets. They're similar enough. It's like so, he shoots her, and she has her again. The second thing that I didn't find that I found not the greatest was her <laughs> screaming ah and shaking, which I don't hold against the actor. Like they told her to scream and play about. It's fine, but it, it looked a little cheesy to me. Uh, I thought it was funny. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's Star Trek cheesy. What are you gonna do though? Oh, I mean, it's it was great, yeah. but it, I laughed a little bit. They use that uh, electric effect that they use in every episode of D and G. Right. Yeah. 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 That's fine. And so yeah, and so he got out of it, and then they go back and he's like, "That was close, Chief. You're lucky that you know you know." Star Trek is forgiving, even when you lie to people for the right reasons. I guess. Well, uh, he, he. I mean, I guess ultimately he didn't. I mean, he did a bunch of shit, uh, like, behind their backs, but he did it to, like, neutralize it. I mean... Right. Like, he didn't... I mean, everything he did was to catch the criminal. And everything worked out. Yeah. Which Mm. is, uh, ultimately, yeah. But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, but he still broke a lot of... Yeah, but it's fine. Yeah, but he he ran a bunch of circuits the wrong way, I guess. And he punched Odo. I guess mm-hmm. he's gonna have to send send him a right. bubble. Yeah, he lied about a lot <laughs> a, of things. A, a beer. Which, he's gonna get, he's gonna buy Odo a six pack of beer, and it'll be okay. Well, yeah, that's what's good about this federation. They're very forgiving. Like, well, I said I said before that they probably have a Starfleet uh, law. Whenever you have like when you go on trial, oh, yeah. there has to be a, a section of Starfleet law that covers. Yeah, yeah. Are you responsible for your actions when you've been <laughs> taken over by by an alien entity? <laughs> right. There has to be. Yeah, because Bashir actually killed motherfuckers right. in the passenger or whatever. Right, what right, called. right. And Keiko is like, well, I was just kind of stuck in sand, and that's another know. light complaint. I it's just a mild irritation I have is that anytime you have a character that has two people in in, in one head, sure, and they always come after the story's finished, they have to describe what it was like to have somebody mm-hmm. else in their head. Why do why do that? Yeah. It, it seems like an obliga- obligatory scene yeah. that they always have to have the explanation at the end of what it was like to have two people in your head at the same time. Yeah, right, right. I, I sensed at all but i couldn't do anything i was stuck in sand it was like a cold rage that's what it what felt you like. can do I is not s- mention it but at some point in the later seasons have one of those like a uh scene in aliens where everybody compares scars isn't that an aliens or is that in some other 80s i think it's film? in every 80s or, it's in a lot of films <laughs> <Yeah>. where they <laughs> yeah. compare scars um, that everybody's like no I, my what, brain, what, what, what was the lethal weapon movie with renee russo i know there's a lot of sexy scenes they do scar comparison <laughs> in that but yeah you just have a scene where everybody 
everybody at the table and at the promenade or at the corks bars like oh yeah well i was taking over this thing. and each one has like a different story about <laughs> right. when they were brain oh, taking over oh oh it felt like quicksand well when i was taking over it fucking hurt all the time <laughs> well because we know that <laughs> yeah. but she i mean just in their peer group now it's happened to keiko it's happened to o'brien it's happened to bashir um <laughs> dax lives it every day i think it's <laughs> i think did it happen with Worf at some point i think it may have happened with Worf. That's dax probably. was to put into the belly of uh the director of scrooged <laughs> so, so like yeah i mean like like you, you can compare a lot of those different things oh and she had a serial killer take over her brain right 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 yeah so yeah They've all, they got brain scars to compare. Yes. So that's all wrapped up. And then we have a bookend of the opening scene with Rom at a, at his brother's bar coming in in the morning. He's like, oh, you look like shit. You're so tired. Like, no, I don't want the steak and eggs or whatever it was at the beginning. He's like, I want pancakes because bacon didn't agree with him. Pancakes and p- pineapple because that's what engineers drink on the day shift. And like, oh, you, he got moved to the day shift instead of being It's like, well, then why are you so tired? Because I was celebrating all night. Sausage and pineapple. The end. Yes. <laughs> oh, and and my crewmates like me. But even Latana, like, oh, does he have a girlfriend that's not Lita? Nope. This <laughs> one is is pretty high on my rewatch. Uh, you guys want to go over that real fun. quick for you? I mean, I'm like, yeah, we should jump to what that. do you what do you think? Uh. I really, before the I watching it, I was like, this is not going to make my rewatch meter, but it's a good episode. I'm still going to put it lower than like, I like the heavier episodes like last week's. So I'm going to put it at a five. I don't know. I'll put it at seven. That's pretty damn good. I, I was surprised how much I liked it. And I think it's like a, this shows like, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if this is going to show, because we're five episodes in to season five now. Yep. And I know what we got coming up. And I'm just kind of like, are they, like, when did they, their bottom is just higher than it. This is probably not going to make my white album. Right. I'd be surprised if it does. But like, but like, damn, like, damn. I'm going to put just this like, a, these guys, at a 10. If, I, if I'm going to rewatch a Deep Space Nine episode. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm going to tell you why. Be just because the pure, like, storytelling of it works. Like, it's just on every every technical, like, every... It, yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's masterfully crafted with its tone, how it tells the story visually, how it's acted, um, how it takes... No uh, dumb jokes, no off notes. Well, how it like, takes a Star Trek trope and elevates it, I guess. Like, yeah. I want to see... It's it's showing me the best of, of a Star Trek trope. I don't think there's anything wrong with with these tropes. I mean, that's why they always come back to them. You know, Crazy Cat threw a brick like on every strip, right? That ran for for thirty five years. I don't have a problem with this. Right, right, right. What I like to see is it elevated. And so, I for me, if I'm gonna watch one Star Trek take over the body episode, yeah, it's gonna be the assignment. So this is a high one for me, huh. probably a ten. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I just think, like, while I was watching this, I was just constantly, like, this was like a, oh, yeah, these guys are like a well-oiled machine now. This is where, well, whatever I've had to say about Iris Stephen Bear before, he's whipped this into a... Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree. But this team is a, they do just, like, even the dumb, boring Star Trek trope episodes are just elevated to quali- such quality. And to get that performance out of Keiko, who's not... I mean, she's never been given this much juicy material before, and, and she's she's great. Yeah. yeah, like, I think Rosalind Chow's great. Yeah, she's great in this. Yeah. But, you know, like, I've thought every episode of this season so far, I've... Because for me, they've all been really great. Yeah. So it's hard for me to, like, say, oh, this one was so much better, I'm going to rank my rewatch higher. Mm-hmm. This is a great episode, well, too. I would but, say like, the, for me, the like, rewatch meter is a deeply personal thing. And that, that that's the nature of that's why yeah, I like right. talking about the rewatch meter because it's it's a deeply personal thing that has another metric besides just like straight up quality. You know, it right. Like if you had asked me before this episode, I'd be like, Oh, this is not on my no. rewatch meter. In but... fact, I was sort of dreading this. I forgot how great it was. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, this is episode five and we have not had a weak link yet. No. Yeah. I'm looking at what we've done so far. That's like, like right. I guess I would say the ship is the like, and I know that like you guys. I don't even think it's a bad. I, mean, I think it's a great episode. I just think it's it might be I the kn- weakest link in the, the for me. Birds. I think this is going to be a weirdly personal sort of view of the season. 
Oh, I I think so too. Yeah. Or what we choose to. I mean, I don't even know. I've mentioned before. I'm a guy that when I like something, I think it's the best thing ever since the last thing I saw. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like so. It, I think we can all get know. like that from time to time. We can, yeah. We can go the opposite sometimes too. Like if we don't like something, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's, a, that's sorry. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to bring any of those bad engrams no, no, from no, the no. Discovery podcast. No, no, no. The whole, <laughs> go on, go on. Yes, uh, but no, this has been great so far. I'm the White Album will be interesting. This. What do you guys? What do you guys want to guess that good people of IMDb rated this particular right. episode? I'm going to go out on a limb and going to say they're going to be much lower than we think it is. Because it's about that horrible bitch Keiko. Right. They all think Keiko's a shrew and they're all horrible people. It's like a Skylar <laughs> White episode. Oh my God. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah they're just dreading her the whole time because she's such a... No. I'm going to say 7-2 is what I want to say. That's a good call. Um, I think most of these things are going to... You got to it before I did this time. Congratulations. I'm sorry. No. Maybe that's the right call because I've been off for two seasons. You can always say the same thing. I mean, you don't have no, to. No, no, I think if you I think maybe maybe where I've been screwing up is jumping on this. I should have been working off of James's assumptions and going higher or lower and just fucking up his average. Yeah, yeah, do that. Uh I'm gonna say seven you said seven point two. I did. I'm gonna say seven point four. 7.2. It's God a 7.2. Damn it. <laughs> I even tried to tell you you could pick the same number as him. <laughs> it's two weeks now where I've been 0. 0.2 points above James where he got it exactly right. All right, James. You're benched from going okay. first from now so, on. No, no, no. I'm still, again, I'll, I said it last week. James is right, but this is still the closest I've been for like a season or two. So I'll again, I'm I'm playing golf against myself, not my, my not the guy on the field with me. Fair enough, fair enough. So you you can have this one too, James. I graciously give it. All right. Uh, next week is super duper fan favorite trials and tribulations. Oh, yes. it was also a night. Apparently, all of these episodes it's a nightmare to shoot. I it bet. was a nightmare to shoot, and all of these episodes had to like kind of work around it. So there wasn't like a consistent shooting schedule for a lot. Of, like it's weird. Like they uh, they went all in on the, the trials and tribulations. Right. So. This is like the twenty fifth anniversary or thirtieth or something. So. Yeah, yeah. So they did a whole bunch of shit and had to do special, you know, very unique special effects. Forrest Gump shit. Yeah, they had to do. For- oh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like this is back when they were getting Sinatra and beer commercial shit. Like there was state of the art. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. So they were having to do a lot of like. I like. I guess. I mean, are, are we're we're interested in visiting the Enterprise, aren't we? <laughs> like, um, okay. All right. This I, is I, kind I, of a rough time for this I'm a, exact I, episode. I'm looking at it as a palate cleanser. Like, I'm looking at this not to to exactly explicitly say why I might be looking forward to this in contrast to other things, but it's. I just feel like it's going to be fun. It's going to be old Star Trek, but fun. Yeah. And that sounds like a thing that's going to be nice. I think we should suge- we suggest that everybody, before next week's episode drops, rewatches the original series if you have and access have, to oh, it. This, to yeah, watch oh, both yeah. of them. Watch, them. watch The Trouble of Tribbles and watch this, you know, next week. Next, you know, yeah, side by yeah. side. I should do that, too. Yeah. It's a... Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty great. And there is, a, I believe... There's not like a little documentary about the making of this episode. Oh, we have to check that down. Yeah, so like I guess they did like an Entertainment Tonight sort of dick deal thing. Oh, I bet they Ronald, did. I'm looking Ooh, at a picture. Maybe some old Mary Hart footage, <laughs> yeah, yeah. huh? John Tesh. Oh, that maybe. beautiful Mary Hart footage. Uh, yeah. Oh, all right. And then go listen to some John Tesh albums. So <laughs> I love my yeah. new age. No, so this is a big deal. And then so we're it's keeping going. This everything's going and going. All right. Watch us hate this. All right. We should probably just for branding purposes hate this episode. For branding purposes, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride or die for this one, I guess. I don't know. Hashtag Team Wade. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna come in just hating it anyway. No. I, I remember <laughs> Thinking this this episode was a hoot, and who knows what I'll think about it now? Right, I haven't seen it in ten years, so we'll see. Yeah, I thought it was a little goofy the first time, but you know what? I feel like I'm up for goofy now. Yeah, uh, the world needs a little more goofy. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll have a short stack of pancakes dripping with butter, a side of sausage, and pineapple. Pineapple. 
That's the breakfast of choice on the day shift. Oh, yeah, we've gone a little bit long. I think we're not going to do voicemails this week. All right, well, why don't you let everybody know how to get a hold of us for next week for the voicemails? Yes, we might have run out of time to fit it in this week, but we still want to hear from you about what you think about Deep Space Nine, about our podcast, or, you know, your Beatles White Albums. We enjoyed that. Anything, give us a call at the Kickers of Elves hotline number at 917-408-3898. Or shoot us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what we do, go check out all the stuff we have over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash kickers of elves. We've got the Much Ado About Nothing series over there and other stuff if you go back. So, yeah, all that stuff, all the other stuff that every podcast wants you to do about rating and subscribing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, sure, do it. Why not? Setting up a cult in our name. <laughs> yes. Sending us large uh, amounts of money. Large, yes. Gifts. Gifts we like. Yeah, all uh-huh. of the, all of the things you do for your podcast. All right, tell your friends <laughs> that that's big that stuff. Well, is anybody have anything else they need to plug or want to say before we beam out of this bitch? Nope. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Rules of Acquisition. We hope you join us next week as we go through another episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. For Wade, James, and myself, three to beam out. <laughs> Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line, where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes? They will play them on air and try to be nice to you, because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917-408-3898. That number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are. That is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.